would please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. We will read the word of the Lord, verses 50 through 58, and then ask Him to help us to see. Beginning of verse 50, 1 Corinthians 15. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will, be, we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this, perishable must put on imperishable and mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Um, I am so overwhelmed at what you do. And Lord, I pray that as I and my feeble mind try to explain this, that you give my brothers and sisters ears to hear and eyes to see and a confidence and an assurance that overwhelms all things. Lord, you have shown us so much in this chapter. And yet, Father, now we praise. Now we praise you who is worthy. We praise you who has the victory. We praise you who will do amazingly more than what we could have ever thought or imagined. Father, help us, called by your name, to walk in the power and the might and the majesty of the resurrection. In Christ's name, amen. Those of you who've been with us for a while, you realize now that we are at the end of chapter 15, and we only got one more chapter left in this book. Okay, about nine years we should be done. Um, uh, it's, you know, just one chapter to, chapter to go. Uh, and we are in a, in a chapter that is called the resurrection chapter. Um, I, I, yeah, it's definitely in there. But I, I think that what you need to look at, and, and I want to try to bring you back to it, is that this church had a major problem. Okay? And I can sum it up in one word. All right? And we've looked at it. Pride. That's all it was. It was pride. And it had allowed some awful things to happen in this church because of their arrogance. All right? And now he's in chapter 15 and he's speaking of the resurrection because what happens when you lay a foundation of pride, you are opening yourself up to the author of pride. 
Satan. All right, and what you have here is he starts dealing with people who would be skeptical of this resurrection or who would even go as far as to mock it. And so he starts dealing with it, and he has given us some amazing stuff. But he deals with an issue that is central to the human race. I have some things I would like to share with you. This is a quote from someone that I do not know, uh, and nor do I know the author, but I will give you his quote, and I think that you will understand what I'm talking about. There is a preacher of the old school, but he speaks as boldly as ever. He is not popular. Though the world is his parish, he travels every part of the globe and he speaks in every language. He visits the poor. He calls upon the rich. He preaches to people of every religion and no religion. And the subject of his sermon is always the same. He is an eloquent preacher, often stirring feelings which no other preacher could and bringing tears to the eyes that never weep. His arguments none are able to refute, nor is there any heart that has remained unmoved by the force of his appeals. He shatters lives with his very message. Most people hate him. Everyone fears him. His name? Death. Every tombstone is his pulpit. Every newspaper prints his text. And someday, every one of you will be his sermon. Interesting concept. And yet, that is at the crux of the issue of chapter 15. It is the one thing that balances all people. I don't care who you are. Rich, famous, I don't care your societal form. I don't care about what you say. There was a poet historian named Thomas Grave, and this is what he said, I quote, The boast of the heraldry, the pomp, and po- the pomp of power, and all of that beauty, and all the wealth ever gave, await the inevitable hour, the paths of glory, all lead but to the grave. Unquote. Let's be realistic. Man fears death, however you cut it. And yet, here's what's amazing about it it all ends at the grave. I, I call it the unhope of the world. I mean, we sell vitamins, we sell exercise programs, we sell medicine, we sell pills, we have whole institutions that are built on the basis that I can keep you from the grave. And yet no one is successful. But that is not the hope of a Christian. And that's what we've been seeing in the whole 15th chapter. I mean, the underlying thing is that thing that we don't really like to talk about it. We, we say it this way. They're no longer with us. <laughs> what the heck does that mean? Yo, dude, they're dead. Right? 
I mean, and you guys can say, well, he's cold and crass. Truth of the matter is, I'm going to cut right through this thing for you. I don't want you to think that, well, I think it's just like a soul nap. A what? A soul nap? They're dead. And you know what? For the Christian, all of the fear of death has been canceled. Because we have the hope of a bodily resurrection. You know what? I remember reading Charles Spurgeon and he says the greatest event in a Christian's life is the moment of their salvation. Death is not an event. It is a conclusion. And yet when you get the diagnosis or you get the prognosis or you look at it straight in the face, what's your response? We go into the grave and we're going to come out the other side. And what's really going to be cool about it, when I come out the other side, I have a glorified new body. It's imperishable. It's glorified with the radiance of Jesus Christ and it is powerful beyond my understanding of power. I have a glorified body that is fit for heaven. So death is fearful for what reason? Ben Franklin wrote his own epitaph on his tombstone. You got to read this one. Here's what it says. The body of Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering, lettering and gilding, lies here food for worms. But, but the work will not be lost, for it will appear once more in a new and more elegant edition, revised and corrected by the author, unquote. Pretty good for old Ben, isn't it? And you know what? You read that, other than I'm not a printer, that's the truth for every Christian. And we've been looking at it. Queen Victoria. Queen Victoria had an amazing love, and it's written of many different manuscripts, for her husband, Albert. I know Albert Hall. I've been in Albert Hall. Uh, but Albert was a very weak and frail man, and he died. And then Queen Victoria died later, and outside of her tombstone it says this, Here at last I will rest with thee, and with thee in Christ, I shall also rise again. That is the whole message of 1 Corinthians 15. And yet they're skeptics. They're skeptics in the body of Christ. This letter is dealing with those skeptics. There are skeptics that says, well, I don't believe in a resurrection. Well, Christ was raised, but hey, you know, I don't know about us. We just become one great big force in the universe. There are those who would mock it. Well, how do you get the dead body out of the ground? What will it look like? Who wants to look like an old dead body? And Paul answers that. And again, this church had a serious pride problem. And he is smacking him. If you really think about it, if you want to deal with pride in the body of Christ, the greatest single issue that will crush man's pride is the resurrection. What part do you play? 
What ability do you have? None. None. This is 58 verses, largest chapter in this book. And now he's going to try to affirm with confidence of the resurrection. And it's based on Christ has risen again. He is the first true fruit. He is the guarantor. We've looked at the evidence of the resurrection, the first 11 verses. We looked at the importance of the resurrection, 12 through 19. We have seen the plan of the resurrection in 20 through 28. We have seen the motivation behind the resurrection, 29 through 34. We've even described what the body looks like, the resurrected body is, in verses 35 through 49. And now, Paul just breaks forth in praise. That's all this is. He's just saying, can you believe this? And when you look at the resurrection, there comes a point where you just sit back and go, oh. And you can spell that any way you want. Frontwards or backwards. And I call this the praise of victory. Praise of victory. And if you look at it, he has four lines that he deals with in the praise of victory. One is the great transformation. One is the great triumph. One is the great thanksgiving. And one is the great therefore. Drove Stephanie crazy. What do you mean therefore? I'll show you later. In four weeks. (laughs) Okay. The great therefore. Is that like Santini? No, never mind. We're going to look at the transformation, 50 and 53. Okay. It's like... At this point in this letter, Paul just opens to the wonder of the resurrection. A bodily existence that is only fit for heaven in the presence of Jesus Christ, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, only for eternity. That ought to set a little wonder out there. And he opens it with an understanding here. I say this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, he's basically saying, and he's already dealt with it, you know what, there has to be a transformation. Uh, There there has to be a difference. There's going to be a uniqueness to dwell in the domain of God. Remember we looked at it in 49, we are not the earthy. We are not of Adam. We will be of the heavenly. And there's a difference. There's a difference. We have to be transformed. Flesh and blood, it's a term to describe the physical body. It's a fascinating term because it's only used in the New Testament. It's never used in the Old Testament. It's the verse that you see, the term you see in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. It says, because Christ became flesh and blood. All right, what was he? He was eternal being. He was a heavenly being. He existed in the heavenly and he had to take on a vessel that would live down here who was fit for this place. Human human beings are flesh and blood. We are what we call natural. And natural can't enter into the heaven. They can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's impossible. They cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Okay, now listen, the kingdom of God that you see here in your text, it's not the kingdom universal. Okay, I exist and therefore I'm in God's kingdom, God's creation. Okay, and it's not the spiritual 
kingdom. It, it, it's, uh, the rule of God in my heart is the kingdom of God. Because okay? I right now exist in the kingdom of heaven. I'm in the heaven. Now. I'm indwelt with deity. I have the Holy Spirit. Okay? But the truth of the matter is, I have a big influence, don't I? That is natural. Okay? The kingdom of God that you see in this text right here is the consummation in the eternal sense. It is the conclusion. It is that text that you see in 1528 where he says, when he finally puts everything in the subjection to the Son, he presents it back to God. That is the consummation of all. Okay? You cannot enter into that kingdom. You cannot enter into that realm in the body like this or like yours. Okay? It must be transformed. So you see how it links to what we've been studying. We look at this and Paul is describing this body and he says, this body will not be a flesh as we know it. Okay? Uh, you know, I, I remember somebody, and I can't remember what class it was as in I was in, but it says that the human body, the flesh, your skin, recycles every seven years. Okay, by the time it flakes off, you get a whole new outer covering every seven years. Okay, here's the problem with that. Every set that you recycle is worse than the one you had. It is. It, it just, you know, you would think, well, if I recycle this thing in seven years, you'd get what? And it's sort of like the new car, you know, and then the smell goes away. <laughs> and I'm ready to recycle it. I think it's that involvement of decay. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. But in that day, it won't happen no more. You won't have the flesh and blood recycling factor. You will exist physical being. But it ain't going to be like you know it. It will no longer be natural. It will give you a whole new definition definition of the supernatural. Okay? Uh, you are perishable. You will be imperishable. You are corrupt. You'll be uncorruptible. You are so natural, you'll be raised spiritual, 49, 42 tells us, verse 42. A great transformation must take place. And Paul says, death becomes the planting of that seed. Okay, it's, we come out of the grave. I, I watch people when we do baptisms in Romans, in Romans 6, it says we have been buried with Christ, baptized into his death to be raised with Christ to walk in the newness of life and I watch people do some weird stuff with that text baptism is to identify with I identify with the death of Jesus Christ so that I can now walk in a new life but let me tell you something the new life you have in salvation is not resurrection okay we will get rid of this and the 
question that see that comes out of this where he's at now he says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god nor does the perishable inherit inherit the imperishable okay the question then that he's going to raise here in 50 through 53 i tell you a mystery okay i like it whenever paul uses that phrase i pay attention okay but here's what the question will what about you know, we're sown so we can be raised. You give us the illustration of a plant seed. It dies and it raised. What happened about us who don't die? Do I get left out of the body thing? It's uh, similar to First Thessalonians. See, the Thessalonians were concerned, well, what about those who die? When did they get their body? They don't get a body? And what about those who do die? The Corinthians, okay, they're sown so they can get a new body. But what about us who don't? Because see, they're all living at the imminent return of Jesus Christ. How about you? How about you? Are you living that Jesus Christ could show up just like that? Thessalonians lived that way. The Corinthians had it on our mind. Well, what happens if he calls all these people out of the grave and I'm sitting here holding the bag? That's easy. Behold, I tell you a mystery. What's the mystery? Paul, help me here. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. To sleep, and the New Testament writers... It's to die. It's to die. See how they don't have emphasis on death. Let's be realistic. Sleeping is what we all do. That's what they call death. That's what we all do. But he says, you know what? What happens to those who are remaining? It's all right. Whether you're alive or whether you're dead, if you are in Christ, you will be changed. There's no way to dwell in the incorruptible in the immortal kingdom of God unless you are immortal and incorruptible. There will be some in the ground and they'll be changed at the moment out of the grave. Others will be changed on their way up. And then when I, I get people, I remember a guy telling me one time, he says, you know why the dead in Christ rise first, right? I said, no. He said, they got six feet farther to go. I'll let you ponder it. (laughs) I'll let you ponder it. I'll show you a mystery. Now, what he says here, when we look at this word mystery in the original language, it's not something you can't understand. Okay? It's something for the first time you can understand. Right? That which has been hidden is now revealed. I tell you a whole new thing. We call this um, the rapture. Okay. Um, I don't like that word. And the reason that I don't like that word is it comes from the Latin word that we get raped from. Okay. Uh, and, and it literally means to be snatched up, caught up. But it, see, it doesn't fly, does it? I'm waiting on the catching up. That's like waiting on a relative. <laughs> you know, I'm waiting for the catching up. Can you catch up? 
So I'll let you look at it any way you want. Now, I got a lot of people who struggle with the rapture. Okay, is the church raptured out of here and how does this work? And, and, I, and I sit there and they say, well, you know, we're, we're just forcing stuff into the New Testament. Okay, you know, the, the Thessalonians 4 text and, and you guys are, and you know, I just think you're trying to force it. And I always smile at him. I say, I don't think we're forcing nothing here. Well, but you're a New Testament preacher and all the rest of it. And I said, well, yeah, but what about Enoch and Elijah? Okay, I mean, where I come from, those are forerunners. You are and you're not. Where'd they go? Up. Okay, well, how'd they do that? <laughs> Just as God wanted to do. <laughs> come here. <laughs> or it. <laughs> All right, so that, do you see what I'm trying to get at? I said, well, I'm just not sure about that. I think there's got to be this. And remember when we see all the, the movie that had all the clothes laying around? Where was Elijah and Enoch's clothes? You know, see what I mean? I mean, so be real careful when you're watching these quote-unquote movies. They are strictly for entertainment. Okay? I mean, I look at Enoch and Elijah and I say, you know what? They just took off at the great catching up guess what? We're just going to take off. And it's a mystery. All right, but then you start getting more questions. Well, how, when, what, how did this going to work? Well, it's really easy. He says here, not all will sleep, but all will be changed. All right? And here's, then he says, it's, it'll be in a moment. In a twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet. Wow, all right. All right. I want to share with you something in this because I've seen some erroneous teaching that is out there. I've heard the resurrection described this way. It's like a caterpillar and it makes a cocoon. And it sits in a cocoon and all of a sudden it comes out a pretty butterfly. Well, that ain't the word moment. Um... The word moment that you see in your Bible is atomos. It's the word we get Adam from. It's atomos. Um, and to try to give you the specifics of the word, it is the smallest possible particle. It'll be a unit that cannot be divided by anything else. Does that make sense? All right, so when he says in a moment... It's now, a, it, it, is a, it is a position of time that cannot be divided. Okay? You can't get a few seconds out of this. Okay? I, it, so it's going to be like in a moment. It isn't a process. It isn't an evolving cycle. Can't be divided. It will be the smallest unit of time... And in that smallest unit of time, we will be completely changed. Okay? Do you understand what that means? It's going to be so fast, you won't realize it. All right? And at the moment it happens to you, you're going to forget what you used to be because that flesh and blood is gone. 
And, and you're not going to watch yourself change. Okay? You won't even watch someone else change. It is in a moment. And, and then he says, in, in case you didn't figure out how fast I'm talking about, how about the twinkling of an eye? Okay, I've heard a lot of discussion on this, and this is my conclusion on this. The twinkling of an eye um, is the length of time that it takes light to go from the iris to the retina. Okay? And science says that takes one-sixth sixth of a nanosecond. Okay, now we all claim to know what nanoseconds are. I know what that is. That's like in a moment. Okay, a nanosecond, you know what a second is, right? 1,001, 1,002, okay. Okay, that's a second. You have a microsecond, which is a millionth of a second. All right, a nanosecond is one thousandth of a microsecond. And it'll be a sixth of that. Okay? And you're all sitting there going, why is he telling us this? You know what? I have no reason whatsoever. <laughs> I just thought it was cool. It was a rabbit I chased. I shot it down and said, I'm out of here. Okay? I guess if you really want to know what I'm trying to say is it's going to be like really fast. Okay? We don't all die. We do all change, and we do it really fast. We're caught up with him. When? Last trumpet. That's what it says. The last trumpet. You know, um, <laughs> this is stepping into eschatology. Okay, Eschatology is the study of end times. Okay, There's ecclesiology, that's the study of the church, and then there's eschatology, the study of end times. In time, all right, um, and, and 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 let's be realistic. Every, there's an interest in the end times. We're all interested in eschatology. I know this for a fact because you know there are people who have made studies of Scripture on the basis of the trumpet. I made studies on the trumpet. A guy named Louis Armstrong and Miles Davis. Uh, I don't think they worked, but hey, I like the sound of the horns. Um, what is this last trumpet? Well, I can tell you this. It's the last one ever. Okay. Um, and it will be the one that ends the age. Okay. Um, and at the sounding of this last one ever that ends the age, it's not the last trumpet you'll ever hear. It is the last one that signals the conclusion of the age. Um, we get resurrected bodies. Okay, so it's the ending of something. Um, basically, if I look at the context here, it's the ending of the struggle with death. It's the final summons. All right. Um, trumpets in the Bible are used for a lot of things. So be real careful if you do a trumpet study. Okay. Um, I've seen trumpets used to assemble for festivities. I've seen trumpets used to assemble for a great victory. Uh, but I thought that I would just go to the first time that I found a trumpet used. And it's fascinating. I found it and it comes in the book of Exodus and it is chapter 19, verse 16. So it came about on the third day 
Exodus 19.16, came about on the third day when it was morning. There was thunder and lightning flashes and thick cloud upon the mountain. God's presence was seen before Israel on Mount Sinai and everybody was freaked out. The ground was shaken. It was dark. There were flashes of lightning and it just looked like someplace you probably needed to go away from. Okay, And a thick cloud was upon a mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) You know, we've been hearing the thunder and the lightning and the clouds and the smoke and now somebody's playing the horn. What do you think? I'm scared. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to what? Meet God. When the horn of God blows, the first time you ever see it, it is for what? God summoning his people to come forth to him. Okay? To summon the people to God. All right. How about in Isaiah? Isaiah speaking of the future kingdom. Isaiah chapter 27 verse 13 says this. It came about also on that day. The great trumpet will be blown and those perishing in the land of Assyria and and who are scattered in lands of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on a holy mountain in Jerusalem. Okay. That's speaking of the future kingdom. That's speaking of the conclusion of the age. That's speaking of God saying, it is time for my people to come unto me. Again, the trumpet of the Lord. What do we have here in chapter 15? The trumpet of the Lord. There's, so someday, all of the graves are going to hear the trumpet. And they're going to come out. And they're going to be joined by those who are going to be transformed on the way up. Okay? Can you imagine what it's going to be like when all the graves give up their victims? Dude, can you? I mean, that ought to make you say, huh, (laughs) or something. Jump up and slap somebody. I don't care. We've got to look at this. The graves will all spit forth and they will rise to the skies to meet Jesus Christ. And we who are still alive will rise with them. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be as Christ, immortal, imperishable, glorified, and powerful. Man, that ought to freak Christians out. Paul says, don't worry. We're all going to be changed. We're all coming out. I want to see if I can kind of explain this to you a little bit. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, beginning at verse 1, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me also. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And that... <clears throat> where I am, there you too may also be. Okay, now some of your translations will say, in my father's mansion there are many mansions. Uh, that's not true because you don't usually put a mansion inside of a mansion. Um, 
it says rooms, dwelling places. Okay, and it says to prepare, and I hear people try to tell me and preach that, you know, well, God is going to, he's up there building these rooms for all of us. And, you know, it doesn't mean construction. It literally, if you really want to know what the word prepared means, it means um, uh, to furnish. I'm furnishing it. You know, I want a big screen TV and a waterbed and not just water. Um, just kidding. Okay. Change that you see here. Um, do not be troubled. I will come again and receive you that you may be where I am. And then if I look at the word change that I see in First um, Corinthians 15, uh, it's the same change that I see in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 12. Okay, and that text speaks of the way creation will be changed with the new heaven and the new earth. Do you understand what I just said? Same word used of your resurrected body is the same word the writer of Hebrews uses of the new heaven and the new earth. So as different as the new heaven and new earth will be, so will your body be. Same is going to happen. So when I put on a little outline here, a great, the great transformation, do you understand what I'm trying to get across to you? I'm going to come. Listen, here's one of the problems I think we have with the interpretation of the end times, with the problem of the rapture, okay, the the catching up, okay? What does it say here in this text? Verse 3, if I go and prepare a place, I'm going to furnish a place for you. I will come back again and receive you to myself, and where I am, there you may also be. Here's what, you've, here's what we do to the rapture. We have the rapture as an event. It's a person. You got that? We are looking for the signs of the event. I need to be looking at the signs of the person. See the difference? We are looking for this cataclysmic event. Let me tell you something. At the appearance of this person, it's going to be a cataclysmic event. To equip, to furnish, doing that, knowing that I'm going to do this, that I'm preparing a place, I'm furnishing a place for you. Know that, then I will come. It's like Acts chapter 1 verse 11, the same Jesus will come in what? Like manner. Christ is going to come. He's going to take the dead and the living and they're going to be changed. Keep in mind, keep in mind, this catching up, this rapture is a person. It's not an event. Titus chapter 2 verse 13, looking to the glorious appearing of Christ Jesus. Same thing you see in 1 Thessalonians 4. Okay, because Thessalonians, you want to talk about amazing church. Chapter 1, verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians says they are awaiting his appearing. Okay, you see that in 1 Thessalonians 4, John 14, 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, it ain't got nothing to do with the event. It has to do with the appearing, this person. Okay, I think that if you apply that to your eschatological studies, uh, it will help you get a little more clarity in, in what is going on. Go back to our text, 
For this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. See that? See, this corruptible vessel, this perishable vessel, cannot occupy the kingdom of eternity. It's impossible. You know what's cool about this? Paul has let us in on a little secret. He said, here. Here you go. It's never been revealed before. And now you got it. So the question. Who will be still alive at the time of the resurrection in natural bodies? Those who are here will be taken up. And in an instant, in an instant, transformed. One-sixth of a nanosecond. Transformed. And there will be some who will do that without ever dying. They will be, and they'll be there. Okay? And you don't have to worry about temporal bodies falling out of the heavens. All these Christians who were left, all of a sudden their dead carcasses start falling out of the skies. Okay? We've never seen that with Elijah. I've never seen that with Enoch. I had a guy tell me that one time. Well, if we're all caught up, that means all these bodies will be falling out of the sky. I said, yeah, that'll give them something to talk about, won't it? Okay? It won't happen. It'll be changed. How? However God wants to do it. But I can tell you this. He will not take his time at it. Okay? The mystery revealed that he speaks of there in verse 51 is the great transformation. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this truth. And Father, this great transformation that sets before all of us. Father, we eagerly await the trumpet sound. And Father, may we understand the privilege of being summoned by you to gather before you. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that in your faithfulness and your patience and your mercy and your grace, you have redeemed us in in an instance, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. We will be immortal. We'll be imperishable. We'll be glorified. Powerful. Father, please, I beg you, raise up your church that she would live and the power of the resurrection to your glory and praise. Amen.